Welcome back to Probably Good Politics. This episode, Norway. And in person. And in person. A live show. This is what podcasts mean by live show, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have an audience. There's a dog that's just walking around. So yeah. that'll be a fun background feature. Yeah, we're live and on the ground on the East Coast. Yes. In the green zone. Yep. This is what this is what reporters mean when they say they're in the green zone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah, no, pretty wild, uh, doubly vaxxed, uh, and ready to go. Ready to go. We're maskless marauders, but only only in private, when you're out and about. All right, so other than this good news, we have other good news to talk about. <laughs> Before we get into Norway, listen, Norway is not going to be a whole big feature, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, um... Look, it's mostly a normal election. Mm-hmm. But, oh, election called here, though. So, who knows? Yes. Well, we'll probably have a Canada Part 3? Yeah. I yeah. guess, no, we've only done one Canadian election. Yeah, because we used to refuse to do them. Yeah, in 2015, that's why we started the pod. Anyway, yeah. what's your good news, Kaylee? Uh, my good news is I thought it would be kind of cool to talk about how uh, the kiwi bird in uh, New Zealand, up 50%. It was uh, in danger of being extinct. Um, and so they've, they've, they've brought it back, um, from, from the brink, I think, uh, and they did it in an interesting way that we've talked about in science news a few times. Um, and we love New Zealand. So, you know, I thought there's a lot of things going on here. Sure. Um, yeah, the male shriek is very distinct. The female growl is very distinct. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, let, they did some pest control for things that were killing it. And then they had Mm -hmm. a survey of 150 volunteer bird conservationists and, uh, in this sort of doing a kiwi call count. So we just using the human Mm -hmm. ear to record population numbers, um, of the nation's five kiwi species. Um, to assess the status of the bird, and they've assessed that it is about a fifty percent increase. So, did it actually go up by fifty percent, or did they just were they undercounting before? Well, this is something I <laughs> wanted to ask you. <laughs> Do you think that there's just like one kiwi bird that's is it, it like seems, keeps yelling? Yeah, yeah. It seems like that's really a risk in volunteer like surveying the population of people who are willing to tell you. Uh, I think there's probably a correlation between the number of shrieks you hear and the number of birds, but you probably don't yeah. hear one shriek for each bird. Yep. Um, but if they used the same methodology previously and the birds are still, each bird is doing approximately the same number of shrieks, mm-hmm. you're probably good. Yeah, it seems like a good sign. <laughs> anyway, that's my good news. Uh, I feel like a lot of the news isn't uh, good lately, so let's, but. I don't have good news this week. Yeah, so then, see, you can't end good news by saying not a lot of the good, not a lot of not a lot of the news is good recently. Yeah, the, well, the good news is uh, we can be in the same room. Yeah, and the kiwi bird is thriving, and that seems good. Listen, let's just move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the Norwegians are having an election. They are. The Norwegians have an election at. Most every four years, and mm-hmm. sometimes more, more time between them than that, because each elect each sitting of parliament has to le- sit at least yeah for four years, which is interesting, yeah, which is kind of weird, and not normally how it's done. No, <laughs> normally it's at most four <laughs> years. Um, so their last election was September eleventh, uh, twenty seventeen, and this next election is September thirteenth. Uh, 2021. So just skating in there, yeah, <laughs> at the four-year mark. <laughs> um, and 
it's kind of a reversal of what a lot of people might imagine for Norway. Mm-hmm. And, but it kind of went along with, you know, I feel like every election we've talked about for the last four years, it was, oh, this rising tide of the right wing mm-hmm. all over Europe. Yep. And in 2017, um, there was uh, a right wing uh, coalition put into Norway for the first time in a really long time. Yep. Erna Solberg, the leader of the Conservative Party there, just called Conservative, uh, became <laughs> the Prime Minister. I like that they call it, you know, it's, the, it's what's on the tin. Yeah, the party names are, you understand what's going on. They're the Centre Party, or the mm-hmm. Liberal Party, or the uh, Socialist Left Party, or the Progress Party, which seems, I don't know. Vague. Yeah, progress in one way. Yeah, or progressing left, or progressing right, who knows? Yeah. Um. um so, yeah, I mean, some of them are just named after the relentless onslaught of the era of time. Uh, <laughs> can't slow anything but, yeah, so how has things gone for Erna Solberg and the Conservatives and their coalition of 88 seats out of 169? So they have a majority. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those, like, uh, I think we haven't covered one in a little while, but it is definitely just, like, it is mostly gone well. Like, she's broadly um she herself the as the leader Salzburg uh Salzburg is popular mm-hmm. um and it, sort of the handling of the pandemic was seen as going quite well yeah um she was fined for she, breaking oh, yes. pandemic rules yeah yeah but that's very Norwegian is just to find the prime minister you know, and yeah. everybody moves She's, on with their day uh it does seem like it's something that we I think we both noticed in the coverage uh is that like emphasis on like just like being a normal person living a normal life um, mm-hmm. And being the the prime minister is is kind of a thing there. That's like sort of they're all competing to be the most normal. Is this? I feel like there's like this rise of over the last like as the last century progressed. Yeah, it's like the leaders are not supposed to be special. No, whereas like yeah, previously yeah. it was like you know the president or the prime minister was like looked up to as this like you know yeah. authority on things and what they said goes mm-hmm. and like they should have a nice house and they should like dress nicely and be kind of rich and like get yeah. get like a big salary and stuff and now it's like a competition it's like a race at the bottom of like who can want less of a salary and who can yeah. ride the most bicycles <laughs> I, i'd also be like because i feel like in countries where that we've covered where they like have a president mm-hmm. i feel like often the dynamic is more like they have a nice house and they are different from you. And then prime minister. So I haven't done the survey, but somebody should send me the survey or do a survey and see if if there's like a difference in how you're supposed to relate to a prime minister as a leader or a president. Yeah, true. Like the head of state role is Mm -hmm. kind of separate. And yeah, like even here, like the head of state, like the governor general has like a sick giant house with like a nice lawn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not to say that 24 Sussex is not a it's, nice place, uh, but it's in progress. Dis- but, that, but that's the same thing, yeah. right? Like while Stephen Harper lived there, he was like, we're not going to spend a, a cent on making this house better because we're like supposed to be the everyman as yeah. if the everyman in Canada never <laughs> would never renovate renovations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, like it's if there's not a tax credit for home renovations. Yeah um anyway uh but yeah no so she she is broadly popular and i think like no but there's not like it's not an election where there is like something that this government did that was really like there's no scandal there's not Mm -hmm. 
but mostly, uh, generally speaking, it seems that the voters tend to feel that there is a growing uh, uh, economic disparity, a sort of the richer getting richer situation, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's one of the bigger ones. So, so a lot of economic focus, um, which is you know in a healthy uh, election, usually that is uh, an issue that comes up. Um, and then there's some, you know, issues with, uh, private privatization of, of services. Like there's sort of disagreements about whether that should be happening or not. Um, and I think like, a, a, I saw in a few places, like a, a bit of a growing rural urban divide mm-hmm. the, the, we can talk a bit about how the electoral system is run. Um, but as a note, the, the rural, uh, seat are given uh, twice the weight of urban seats so there's some issues uh for urban centers that they feel that you know that rural there is a favoring of rural issues or the yeah so there's but the big one and in terms of uh of of, you know what a country is looking for uh is the sense that the yeah that there's still a major divide in uh who is getting rich and who is not getting rich or who is generally uh receiving economic benefit hmm. in i don't really know that much about norwegian geography yep uh is it mostly so a lot of countries a lot of smaller countries like norway has a population of five million people mm-hmm. um and often there's like just kind of one main uh metropolitan area that ha- has the majority of the population it doesn't seem that way like oslo mm. has half a million people yeah um so I guess it makes kind of more sense that there might be that urban-rural divide because it actually is kind of spread out and not just yeah one big city where everything is lo- located. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it's a bit more dispersed. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right. That is my mm-hmm. sense as well. Okay. And so looking into the actual election and the election polls, mm-hmm. it would seem as though the incumbent will fall. Yes. <laughs> Yes, every headline is pretty much she will lose. Although she did an interview uh, or that I read or something, and her like press secretary apparently opened the interview with saying, "Don't ask," because she believes she will win, and she's very bored of asking this answering this right. question. And I was like, "Yeah, well, okay." <laughs> well, so the the conservative-led coalition, uh, led by Anna Solberg, already has lost his majority because mm-hmm. the Progress Party withdrew support. Yeah, um, back in twenty twenty over the repatriation of. Um, Norwegian back to Norway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there was some uh, internal strife there within the coalition, and the Progress Party left. Is the Progress Party slated to move back in with the right-wing coalition if that coalition were to win enough seats? Probably, right? Yeah. Uh, they seem the most... Uh, they seem like one of the parties that could maybe uh, help to... Because no matter what, uh, so like it's... She will likely lose the mm-hmm. best position to form a government because it's a right. similarly it's a coalition government. So the Labour Party is this party that looks like it will get enough seats to form it. Right. Um, and so it, it sort of depends. It, it, it'll be a negotiation of who, who can offer the best deal. Um, uh, but there's like, so I guess we should maybe mention, so the system is, it, it is using, as we've talked about before, multi-seat constituencies. So the winners are decided by proportional representation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sort of, I don't know, the trick of it, or like the, the little rule that makes things a bit different for them is uh, it's called uh, Spregen, 
Berggrenzen, um, which means like leveling of seats. So four, mm-hmm. if you reach a 4% threshold, which is the goal for the majority of the parties that end up being in there, um, you will receive significantly more um, seats. So it just means like if you've received 4% of voter total voter support mm-hmm. but not enough in your riding to win the seat you uh you'll still get representation um so that's so, so it so for example like in the last one i think the green party received 3.24 percent of all votes and so they only got one seat whereas the christian democrats received 4.2 percent of all votes and received eight seats right so it just like changes dramatically who um will be in the uh, in it represented and 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 so it's key. It's crucial to who will be able to help you form parties or form government. Um, and so basically, the conservative um, alliance is made up of uh, several smaller parties as well who don't have very many seats, but then get a good deal of power as a result. Yeah, and not only are the are once you hit that four percent threshold, you get more seats, but also as we were talking about earlier with the urban rural divide rural seats are strongly overrepresented. Yes, yeah. Um, so even though the population of those districts shouldn't, wouldn't warrant a, uh, a seat, um, there are seats given to them to not concentrate power in urban centers, mm-hmm. which is a common, it seems like a common thing around the world mm-hmm. yes. is to provide uh, some sort of land-based representation. <laughs> yeah. And it, I think it's tricky. Oh, and I guess we have an episode where we sort of talked about, yeah, different uh, proportional and voting systems that Canada could possibly adopt um, because that is a big issue for Canada. There's a lot of rural areas and um, urban centers can be really overrepresented. Um, but that is a balancing act for sure because uh, it's still you you still and I, I think we see sort of the the con, uh, the consequence or whatever of that is in Norway sort of this overfavoring of rural populations mm-hmm. does mean that urban centers feel like they are off they can often end up underserved and their issues aren't addressed mm-hmm. so and as we talked I think we've talked about previously like if if you need an upgrade to your uh, public transportation system. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't get it because the rural voters just won't care about it, right? Like, see, mm-hmm. so there's very specific issues that, and, and, and any consideration of this that have to be sort of balanced out. And it's, I think, like, probably these issues of economic inequality um, are issues that are faced more dramatically, in my sense, in, in urban centers. Mm-hmm. So it won't be as big of an issue for rural areas, which means that it can get a lot worse um, before voters, enough voters decide it's an important issue. Um, and there's the separation of urban-rural interests, mm-hmm. uh, and also, uh, which is not up for election at this point, is mm-hmm. the Sami Parliament for yes. specifically Indigenous issues mm-hmm. um, and cultural autonomy. So that's like a whole separate thing. What do you think about two separate parliaments for <laughs> urban and rural <laughs> That's an idea. <laughs> I th- yeah i, I guess we kind of have yeah. that you have like municipal governments yeah for <laughs> yeah it's about like what level of power do you give to your other levels of government so mm-hmm. yeah we have municipalities we also have provinces and 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 uh federal government in canada um and so i guess it's in theory depending on how power is broken up that can help address it but mm-hmm. but so as it stands it's 
most likely going to be a center-left coalition mm-hmm. with about double the amount of seats as the center-right coalition, mm-hmm. um, over 100 to about mid-50s, somewhere in there. So it seems very likely that barring some seismic shift in Norway, yeah. that there will be a new government forming. Yes. Which is similar to the government that's been in place for the majority of the last 30 years. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, I think, like, um, an interesting, like, issue that seems to be coming up a bit is, like, is what does Norway do? Because Norway is a big oil mm-hmm. um, country. They have the their sovereign wealth fund, um, uh, which it has, like, from oil, as a result of oil, it's the biggest in the world. It's, like, $1.3 trillion in assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're a country that, and I, I think I was telling you this earlier, they have the most EVs in Europe as well, though, mm-hmm. um, electronic vehicles. So it, it's a... Um, it, it's a, it's interesting to see like a, a either government, for example, is still going to be pretty heavily invested in oil while also saying, you know, we, we need pro- being they are like leaders often or very heavily involved in a lot of international climate talks and those sorts of things. So, yeah. Just... Yeah. Using oil money to invest potentially in green technologies, yeah. but uh you know it's uh yeah (laughs) there will be a whole tapestry of energy sources in the future i guess and there (laughs) we'll see where the place is at least at least though it's not necessarily just like a privatized thing where none of the wealth goes back to yeah the people that live in the country at least in some ways yeah so that is that is norway that election Mm -hmm. is happening um in a couple of weeks, almost a month here in uh, mid-September, just before the Canadian election. Yes. So yes. keep an eye out in case some uh, huge news comes out of Norway and something changes. But but we think it'll be a pretty normal affair. Often often news sources say it's too close to call, even when votes are coming in. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to make the projection. <laughs> yeah. Polling has never been wrong, and we love to make calls. Uh Yes, but and, and yeah, so I think that there's a couple of uh, probably pretty normal elections coming up that we might cover. So mm. stay tuned. Right. But speaking of people who like to make calls, yeah, there's one man who's probably on the phone all of the time. Yeah, I think a lot of his job <laughs> is on the phone. <laughs> what has been the life of Antonio Gutierrez for the last little while? Yeah, recently re-elected Antonio Gutierrez, as we talked about last time. And they and he there was like I think we were talking about it last time. Where it was like he had so many big things he couldn't do a lot of the stuff he wanted to do. But um, I think, as we'll learn, is always the case for uh, for the head of the UN. Um, there's always going to be a lot of stuff that prevents him from doing the stuff he wants to do. And currently, uh, well, most recently, he was uh, he was imploring the Security Council to do something about the situation in Afghanistan, right? Um, because the Taliban is uh, is making serious grounds and seizing control of a lot of the country. Um, he said to. He implored the Security Council to use all tools at its disposal to prevent human rights atrocities um, and stop the country from once again becoming a haven for global terrorist mm-hmm. uh, plots. Um, so currently, um, and I think that, so this is an interesting one for us to talk about because I think sometimes we don't um, 
it's sometimes hard to imagine the scale of like what the UN does and, and, and how many employees and, and stuff that he is the head of. Um, mm-hmm. So there are about 18 million people um, and over half are requiring humanitarian assistance, um, which the UN is heavily involved in. He said, I, at this grave uh, hour, I urge all parties, especially the Taliban, to exercise utmost restraint and uh, to protect lives and, and ensure that humanitarian needs are met. Um, and then he's really calling on also to accept Afghan refugees and refrain from any deportations of them, um, particularly in regards to women and girls. But so the UN it currently has roughly 3,000 employees who are uh, Afghan and about 720 international staff members in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half, uh, roughly half of uh, international employees um, have been outside of that of the country since uh, the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic. But um, UN officials, there's still like many people within there that he is also like he is their bosses 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 boss but right. uh they have sort of an extensive network of people working in there and uh, trying to address the address it as a, an office which i think is kind of something we don't always think about we often think of him as just trying to convince other people to do things but but he has actual people yep he has actual people <laughs> who are actually in a very dangerous place right now yeah. <laughs> a da- dangerous position yeah so what does the future of that look like um it, not good things look bad <laughs> um okay. i think that you can see in his plea uh, a lot of stuff that i'm sure many people are seeing in the news right now um just like further confirming that uh things are not going to go very well at the moment um and that the key the for international um for outside countries um particularly like uh those who are involved in the war um is going to be um, support refugee support and inter- immigration support. I think is one of the the big ones. And to also, as as I think we've said before, like keeping your eyes on something is that's one of the biggest challenges. I think of mm-hmm. and keep paying attention. Yeah. Well, best of luck to good luck, yeah, good Antonio. <laughs> so, uh, do you got some uh, rocks or something you want to talk about? Space news. Yes. Uh, we're actually staying in the Levant. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Kaylee, you have heard of radiocarbon dating. Yep. Sure. Yes, yes. I have. That, that sounded not... <laughs> I, yes, I have. So radiocarbon dating is kind of the cooler brother of archaeomagnetic dating. Okay. So... Radiocarbon dating is basically taking the carbon that was in the air at the time and it gets locked into stuff that you make mm-hmm. um, because the trees get cut down or whatever. Yeah. And then that amount of carbon-14 or whatever is in the atmosphere, you use that later and you can tell, you know, roughly how old stuff is. Mm-hmm. So for things that were heated up really hot, mm-hmm. you can use archaeomagnetic dating because I did not know this. Over the past history of the earth the magnetic field has been changing in strength okay so the earth's magnetic field yeah pretty strongly um and so it turns out that with this um magnetite which is just like an iron ore that is magnetic mm-hmm. um when you it it's like a permanent magnet when you heat it up above what's called the curry point mm. all of those like aligned magnetic dipoles um just get disoriented and are no longer magnetic and can move around Okay. So then 
when you cool it back down, because it's in the Earth's natural magnetic field, mm-hmm. they can realign and they're realigned in a way that is correlated with the strength of the current magnetic field at that time okay. that it's in. So if we if we know what the magnetic field strength has been throughout history, mm-hmm. then we can find when these things were heated up. And uh. it turns out that this magnetite is found in the glaze that people put on pottery oh. for thousands of years. So this was used up to like 7,600 years ago to, well, they didn't use it 7,600 years ago. We have been able to date things up to 7,600 <laughs> years ago, I guess, Yeah. Um, by looking at this pottery because it's heated up in a kiln um, and then it gets heated up and then it realigns and then you can test that magnetic field strength ah. versus our current. Um, and what this group has done is they're like, there's a lot of people who are around that didn't have pottery mm-hmm. and that had, or there's people that existed before pottery. Yeah. So they're like, what's a material that has been around before pottery that also could have magnetite in it? Mm-hmm. And so basically they did the same thing, this archimagnetic dating, with flint. So oh, like spearheads and arrowheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because before people wanted to put water in stuff, they wanted to kill things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so they used flint and they were able to date things even further back than what we have with pottery um, because they also have this very robust model of how the magnetic field changed Um, and there's this specific time uh that's called this like anomaly uh where the magnetic field was much stronger than it is now Mm -hmm. and then it started it was like two-thirds of what it is now and then it peaked around seven thousand years ago and then it's been slowly coming down ever since then um which i would imagine if you have the strength magnetic field then it's either before or after that peak yeah you don't really know which one it is but through other methods, they can probably tell what side it's on. Anyway, they're able to date these like older things mm-hmm. um, and really nail down the uh, progress of uh, society and their inventions mm-hmm. in that kind of very fertile region of the world that had a ton of uh, people um, thousands and thousands of thousands years of ago. Um, when it peaked, did they notice? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> So if it, we won't notice if it's not like, like my keys aren't going to. No. Yeah. It's not that strong. No, okay. Um, probably like solar storms wouldn't have knocked out their uh, power grids as much. If, they had <laughs> if they'd had power grids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, since they didn't really have that many electronics or that many magnets, uh, yeah. um, they wouldn't have noticed at all in any way. <laughs> uh, but I thought this was actually a good, oh, useful yeah. piece of space news because it's using mm-hmm. the space magnetic field for some history thing and you're vaguely related to history yeah they gave me a minor in it once yeah so uh not ancient history though no 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 (laughs) anyway archaeomagnetic dating um impress your next date with your knowledge yeah of archaeomagnetism tell them about the rock yeah so listen i think uh given that we went all the way back ten thousand years Mm -hmm. um that's all the time we have this week all right. Um, Norway, we called it. Yeah, uh, nothing else will happen, 100%, for sure. <laughs> Gutierrez, we know exactly how that's going to turn out. Oh. <laughs> and we know precisely the date when people made spirits. So this was, I feel like, very enlightening. For me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully you found it enlightening. Um, if you didn't, don't tell us, only if you did. And if you want to enlighten us on other things, make sure to send us an email at probablypolitics at gmail.com or tweet us at probpolitics on twitter and instagram and instagram thanks for listening we love you we love you all Bye. Bye.